fulfillment of the foreshadowing of this character. He is even better. He's the true substance that we read about in Scripture, that everything in the Old Testament points to him in some way, shape, or form. He is the culmination of the hope of people. So you have these figures in the Old Testament. You have the kings. You have the lords. Well, Jesus is the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He's the son of man who comes riding on the clouds, and he is the Messiah. And in this passage, he is the true and better high priest. We've talked about this for a number of weeks, but let's Let's keep going in this. This is really, really important. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them or turn to Psalm 110. I'm going to read through the whole thing in its entirety. So this is what David's writing. He says this, The Lord, Yahweh says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. Now, there's a lot of different things you can get into, but key things to take away from this, that this figure is sitting at the right hand of God. So in this culture, right hand means the position of power and authority, kingship. Another big takeaway, he's coming in the order of Melchizedek. Referencing back to Genesis again, like, okay, so he's kind of a priest, but he's also kind of a king. Keep going to the end of this. So he will shatter the chiefs. Now, if you go to your footnote, there's going to be this little thing here where it says, or the head. He's going to shatter the head. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible, if you go back to Genesis 3, where the serpent tempts Adam and Eve, they give in, sin enters humanity, brokenness and all that. What God says to the serpent is that there's going to be an offspring through the woman who will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel, which is the first telling of the gospel that there's going to be a Messiah figure who comes who will put an end to evil. David's connecting all of these dots for us. He is a priest, he is a king. He's a prophet, and he's Jesus. Jesus uses this psalm, Psalm 110, in his own ministry. So if you're familiar with the Gospels where Jesus comes in, and there's a lot of injustice going on in the temples. People are overselling sacrifices and all that. He's overturning tables, driving them all out with a whip. This is essentially showing that he's the priest in charge. He's setting up the true order. There's injustice in my house. Removing the corruption. But he mentions Psalm 110, if you look carefully, in Matthew 26, verse 64. So this is after he's arrested. He's going to be crucified really soon. And he's taken to the Pharisees and the high priest at that time. And they're interrogating them. And they're saying, tell us if you are the Christ. Jesus' response is this. You have said so. 
But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Like, oftentimes, skeptics say, well, Jesus never said, I'm God. There it is right there. You just have to look hard enough. You have to understand what he's really saying, what he's referring to. He's saying that he is the great high priest. He's saying that he is the king. He is the one saying he has all authority, all dominion and power in his hands. (sighs) He's connecting dots for us. And so what's really sweet in the book of Hebrews is that the author not only connects dots, but he does kind of a comparison here between the order of Old Testament priests and who Jesus truly is. So let me just go through a few of these. Oh, sorry. Let me back up. I'm going to get, I'm getting a little excited. Let me back up. Let me preface. Let me read verse 11 first. So now if, of chapter 7, verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, For under it, the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? What the author is saying here is Israel could not attain perfection through the order of priests that they had put in place. If you are familiar and have gone through and read any of the Old Testament, you see, okay, the priests are pretty messed up. It did not take long, and it just progressively got worse and worse over time. They could not be the cleansing agent for the people of God. And so the author here is reminding the readers, the Jewish readers, that they have a problem that they have imperfect priests and their own law cannot save them. Because what the law does, it it reveals their inability It reveals their brokenness. It reveals the chasm, the distance between them and God. The law is only going to condemn. So they're stuck in a situation. But what the author does, he brings them to a better hope that can truly save and cleanse all of them. Something has come that is far better than the priesthood. Something that has come here that is far better. And it's tying back into Psalm 110. Talking about this this random dude, apparently to us, Melchizedek. Who is this guy? He will be different than every fallen person they have ever served. That we have ever served. That we have ever looked up to. That we have ever followed. And so what the author does, he does the side by side. He compares the two. He compares this order of priests that have been fallen for centuries, and he compares them with Jesus, the fulfillment of the priesthood, of the law. He says that the high priests were many in number because they would die. They were mortals. They would have to be replaced again and again, generation after generation. There's only one Jesus for all time who never dies. The priests were temporary. But Jesus as the high priest is permanent and eternal. The Old Testament priests became priests without an oath. They were just born into the right family, into the right tribe. 
Jesus was made a priest with an oath by the Father, saying, The Lord has sworn and not changed his mind. You are a priest forever. The priests were sinners who had to offer their own sacrifices for themselves because they themselves were broken to the core. Jesus alone is holy and pure and innocent and offers the perfect sacrifice for everyone. The priests had to offer sacrifices daily while Jesus sacrificed once and for all. The priests offered up animal sacrifices while Jesus offered up himself. The priests entered the holy places through a man-made tent and by means of the blood of goats and calves while Jesus entered the holy place of the presence of God by means of his own blood. He is God in the flesh. He has come to us and has made a way. That is our hope. And that's what he's saying in verse 19, that a better hope is introduced, family, through which we all can draw near to God. What is that hope? He says this in verse 16. It is the power of his indestructible life. That's the hope. Indestructible life. Verse 25 is where we're really going to park this morning and dive deep. 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Stop right there. This is the gospel. That Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. He is the savior of the world. He is the embodiment of truth. The word of God walking, breathing, speaking in the flesh. healing, and forgiving sin. And he alone is able to know you at your deepest pains, your guilt, your shame, and still moves toward you. We have to get that. He doesn't just see you at your deepest, darkest stuff and is just disgusted with you. He sees that, and he's more attracted to it because he has a mission that involves you, and he's going to take you and do something that no one else could do. Isaiah 59, we did this in the last year, that (laughs) he says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. It does not matter how terrible your sin is, how terrible you feel like you are. It will not turn him away. It will, if anything, he will pursue you with greater intensity because it will show even more of his grace. There was a time when I was in India a few years ago. I, I was sitting with um, a leader in the, 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 uh, the church network that we support and partner with, and uh, man, this, this guy, I call him Hindu Paul. This, this man was a part of a radical Hindu group for years. And if you're familiar in India, um, yeah, there's a lot of persecution to pretty much any religion that is not Hinduism, um, Christians included. And so he was a part of this group, and I mean, it was serious stuff. They were gathering guns and bombs and preparing, essentially, to do acts of terrorism. 
And then at some point, Jesus got him. And he became on fire for Jesus. And he became the main discipler and mentor into the leader of a network of over probably 23,000 house churches right now. Reaching the unreached. Sounds a lot like Paul. (laughs) But he was changed by the miraculous power of the cross and the resurrection. That's what changed him. It wasn't just a new ideology. It was a tangible spiritual change that happened in his life, right? So it it affects, it causes, I think, to reflect on our understanding of Christ, who he is. And it's both transcendent and present. It has to be both. And so I was sitting back recently just trying to figure out, like, what is my vision when I preach or how I do ministry? And, And it is this, like, it is a a way of understanding, but being able to communicate and to experience with you the transcendent and present Christ. It's both. The transcendent Christ, the glory, the supremacy over all things from him, to him, through him are all things, all powerful, all knowing, created all things with speaking a word. Every star has a name. All the nations are but a drop in the bucket. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the throne, the majesty. But it's also him being present. He is near. His spirit dwells within you. He knows your heart. He is acquainted with your specific sorrows. Every single one. He walks with you in the valley of the shadow of death. He is your friend. He speaks with you. He guides you. He bears fruit in your life. He comforts you. He brings peace. And he will one day wipe away every tear. both. And we can have imbalances with that. Like, we can bring focus to one or the other, and it it affects the way that we live. It affects the way that we do life together, right? Like, if we are just all transcendent, like, we can lose sight of his heart. We can run into that obstacle. Like, how do we function as people? We're just, like, melted all the time, right? Like, is that your experience? Like, just the face melting? Not by what I see, so I guess that's good. I mean, like, Indiana Jones style, I think I watched that movie when I was seven. I don't know how that deeply affected me going forward. I hope I'm okay, but we'll see. But I'm not saying you're a bunch of Nazis if your faces are melting, but I don't want to. I digress. No, 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 no. The face melting, that's what. Don't be too transcendent. That's all I'm trying to say. But if we're all present, just focusing on all present Christ, we can... We can lose sight of the glory and the power. The power. Right? And, and because of that, it can limit the motivation for mission, for evangelism. But the balance, the balance of the transcendent and present Christ, 
is the fight for joy. The clear path of the fight. Because when we see the cross, we see his sovereignty, we see his glory, we see his justice, his mercy, his love and patience converge into one moment in history. We see that he is paying for the sin of all of his people and for you specifically. That all who would call upon his name would be saved once and for all. We see it in the resurrection where he rises from the grave showing his supremacy over death, being the firstborn from the dead, showing his authority over death, evil, and sin. And then through that giving you new life, individual believer, here sitting here in this room, and through the sending of his spirit, he now dwells in you where you are never alone, but now joined with a family that has spanned the, the course of time and sealing us for eternity. That is the transcendent and present Christ that we must press into, that we must abide in. He saves to the uttermost those who draw near to him. That's the simple gospel. But his saving of us to the uttermost is based on something deeper. What is it? Let's go back to verse 25. Since he saves to the uttermost, since because he always lives to make intercession for them. It's not just a talent that he has. It's not just something that he's good at. It's not what would come up on his personality test, like his strengths finder, his, his Enneagram type. He lives to do this for you. Don't make it complex, right? It means that he steps between us and God and is constantly praying for us. Paul says in Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. John writes in 1 John chapter 2 that Christ is our advocate. He speaks for us on our behalf, right? And so we could stop there and think, oh, that's great. Okay, now do I just kind of imagine what he's saying? No. What does he pray? What does he actually say? John 17. Let's go there. These are these are some of, if not, I don't know. These are some of the most precious 
words I think we could ever read. So what I want you to do is this. You can read along, but I want to encourage you for this. Just close your eyes and just imagine this scene. This is in the garden. It's dark. Jesus knows what's going to be coming in hours from now. He is stressed. He is sweating blood. And he is praying for you. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have, a, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who, would, who have given, you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. What a prayer. That's a good prayer. He loves you, church. I don't know what else to say. Let's wrap up. He loves you, church. He saved you to the uttermost because he lives to intercede for you like that. And the Father is involved too. All right, not to have a this picture in your mind like the Father is just sitting all grumpy on the throne and Jesus is trying to persuade him to love you. It's what he says in verse 23, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Infinite, eternal, unchanging, bottomless love. That's the love that the Father shows to you. Right? And so, I don't, ha- I don't see it in Scripture, but to see that union of love and how it's focused on us, right? That just to imagine like the conversation between Jesus and the Father about how to bless you today, right? Like, Father, let's bless them like crazy. Father, let's, let's give them a dream today where we speak to them. Let's bring up a memory from a dark season where we show them that we were there, we were embracing them, where we were preserving them and protecting them from the demonic. Today, let's make our word come to life in their hearts again. They love you. God is for you and and, and I get, guys, I, I bring up this, and it can, it's, it can seem easy at times, especially if you're in a place right now, it's kind of on the mountaintop, like, everything just seems to be going great, which you're kind of suspicious, like, when are things going to start going bad? Um, I get like that sometimes, but, you know, like, just always rejoicing, always in this great place, and if that's where you are pretty constantly, man, I want to be around you a lot more, but... That's not our constant experience, I think. I think that's a shared experience that we have. But it's in our struggles 
I, I believe it's in our struggles where his intercession for us is the most visceral. It's so deeply needed and hungered for. So when I ask, like, do you feel that this morning? Do you feel the desperation for help? Are you in tune with that? In tune with the, the facts that you have just been trying to shoulder this all along, and maybe your view of intercession is, is just that. Just pull up your boot or your bootstraps, shoulder this way, and Jesus is going to greet you at the end. That's not intercession. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is with you, shouldering the complete weight, joyfully, willfully, not under, not under constraint, but under what he just desires to do. And it's in that desperation, like, let's bring it to present day, present situation right now. It's in our desperation where we cry out for his help. Like, let's just be honest. We need his intercession in our grief, in our grief over death, in under strife, condemnation from the enemy, from our own selves, from our own hearts. Intercession over our depression, intercession over our anger that has ruined relationships, over our hopelessness, over our apathy, over our trauma, over our hurt. We need his intercession. And he answers our cries. Psalm 138, on the day I called, you answered me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And he will not. And since we know, we see that he lives to intercede for us, church, to know this in the moments and seasons of drought, of isolation, to know that he has always prayed for you. Always. He has never stopped. Every moment in your life, he has been praying for you. You have always been on his mind. Because he upholds you with the word of his power. He upholds you. And it keeps getting further, like even, even greater than this, right? So we have the Father who loves us as he loves the Son. We have the Son who intercedes for us always. The Spirit intercedes for us as well. Like it's just over the top. Right? Romans 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When are we weak? All the time. When are we in need? All the time. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself 
intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirits because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We think we know what to pray for. He knows what we need to pray for. The Spirit is always praying through us. Jesus always praying on our behalf. The Father always loving and wanting to hear. Always wanting to bless. This is who we serve. This is who has sought us out in our darkness, in our spiritual death who has made us alive and is now bringing us into this relationship, this family, where it's just over the top, completely transcendent and present right now. It can't get any better than that, right? Apart from being with Jesus face to face, which will one day happen, right? Because this intercession is happening on this side of things. One day, on the other side of death, when we are with him face to face, no more intercession because we will be with him face to face. Complete unity. Right. right so do we even have to pray? Right? Like if God's just doing this, we're not even aware, like, do we, do we still have to pray? Right? Because we can get caught up in that. Like, do we still have to evangelize since God is the ultimate one who saves? It's clear in Scripture we are to pray, that we are to evangelize, right? You read Acts, okay, read the Gospels. Jesus, what? He sends them out to preach the good news, okay? We are commanded to do those things. And Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. Imitate your Savior. Now, that doesn't mean it's the same kind of prayer like in your devos every morning, right? Because you got to go to work. You got to take care of your kids but it's the posture. It's what you're mindful of. It's, it's all those things. It's a completely different lifestyle. And so, yes, to pray without ceasing. Be like Jesus in this way. We pray and intercede for one another because Jesus intercedes for us. We join him in that work. And so in our prayers, family, the encouragement today, this morning, and as we go on and live with Jesus and live together is to be honest with him. Because he wants to hear us. He wants to hear the cries of our hearts, the cries of our desperations. Even if we don't have the words, the Spirit is interceding. He knows. He intercedes on our behalf to the Son who lives to intercede for us, to the Father who has us in his hands and loves us with an eternal, infinite, unconditional love. That's our hope. And so what I want to do is for us to move into a time of responding to that hope. Not just the words that I've said, but what we see in his word, what we see in this. So uh, response teams, come on up. And I want you to just ponder this question. Where do you need intercession? Right, like we'll have the prayer team after the service available for that. But I mean, right now, between you in the Lord. Where do you need the intercession? Where do you need to just be honest with him? Where are you struggling? The thing is, he already knows. 
but he wants you to be honest because he is always willing to help. He lives for that. I need intercession of Christ for my self-condemnation, for my own pride, for my anger, for my laziness, for my grief, for all of it. I need his interceding words and prayers. I need the spirit to stir me. I need to know and hear the Father's voice that sings over me loudly. It's the same song he sings over you. So as we respond, I want you to just sit with that question, ponder that. So continue to pray. Uh, we'll have communion where we take the bread, dip it in the cup as, as believers in Jesus, and we remember this sacrifice that he made as the one who is our advocate, as the one who intercedes for us. It was with a broken body and with shed blood. It's how far he went to show you how serious he is about his love toward you, his seri seriousness towards sin, but his compassion to draw you in to the foot of the cross, to the throne, that you would find strength and encouragement in every time of need as our priest. And if this is your church, this would be the opportunity to give. We'll have the, the text to give option on the screen there. Um, but we're going to respond in singing, singing to the one who has interceded for us. Yeah, so let's pray. And I want to just read some lyrics over you and, and continue in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Jesus, Savior, is our refuge Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Blessed Savior, you have promised. All our burdens you will bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to you in earnest prayer. Soon in glory, bright, unclouded, Face to face will be our prayer. Joyful praise and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. Jesus, still our hearts as we press in and we linger. Would you disarm our safeguards, the things that are, that are just walled off from you? Would you disarm us right now? that we can be honest in our desperation, 
honest in our need, that you have saved us to the uttermost, that you live to intercede for us. Humble us. Would we hear your voice, Father? The words that you sing over us. The words of life that you speak on our behalf, Jesus. That you cry out in your own voice to bless every child of God. God, we pray that every child, every son and daughter of yours would be set free this morning from deep areas of bondage, deep areas of grief, of addiction, of oppression, that they would see you clearly with fresh eyes. fresh ears, a renewed heart filled with the joy of your salvation that you have put within us that nothing and no one can ever take away. Invincible joy. Show us your glory, Jesus. Thank you in your name that we pray. Amen.